Father in heaven, we want to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit into this meeting tonight. We thank you for the blessings that we've received today. And I pray that you would pour out your spirit this evening as well and give me the words to speak that will provide a source of conviction and challenge and encouragement all in the same. And so I pray that you would just speak through me and may Christ be lifted up, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for our message this evening is The Third Angel for Our Time. You know, as a Seventh-day Adventist, I will proudly say that the third angel's message has not lost its relevance. The third angel's message is needed now more than it ever has been needed before. Now is not the time for us as Seventh-day Adventists to be making excuses for our distinct message as a people, especially as it relates to the three angels' messages. And I want to start by reading a statement in Great Controversy, page 464, which says... Before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. Now let me stop right there and say this. The future of Adventism is not worldliness where we become more and more like the world so that we're indistinguishable from the world. That's not the future of Adventism that goes through to the kingdom. The future of God's people is a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since apostolic times. Now, interestingly, the quote continues, and this revival will not only happen among Adventists, but among those in the other churches. She goes on to say, the spirit and power of God will be poured out upon his children. At that time, many will separate themselves from those churches in which the love of this world has supplanted love for God and his word. Many, both of ministers and people, will gladly accept those great truths which God has caused to be proclaimed at this time to prepare a people for the Lord's second coming. Friends, we need to be praying for that revival of primitive godliness. That is the future of Adventism, and many generations now have come and gone as Seventh-day Adventists, and we have yet to see that revival. We are still waiting for the outpouring of the latter rain. We are still waiting for Revelation 18.1 to take place where an angel comes down from heaven having great power and the earth is lightened with his glory. I'm sad to say that at this point, if God were to try to pour out the Holy Spirit in latter rain power, many of us would say, did you see what we did? Did you see what I did for God's cause? Look at how many people are noticing my posts on Facebook and how many downloads my sermons are getting or whatever it may be. Look at how our ministry has shaped the trend in Adventism right now. God is looking for a people who will have primitive godliness 
who will also have a spirit of humility so that God can use us for the finishing of the work. And that is what this message is about tonight. The third angel for our time. Review and Herald, April 1, 1890, is the famous statement. Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message, and I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. Now, what I have often seen in Adventism is that people just read that one-line sentence and they don't read the rest of the quote. And yes, it is true, justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity, but Ellen White gives us some clues as to what that will look like, because there are a lot of confusing views about justification by faith in Christianity and in Adventism today. And your understanding of justification by faith, if it's correct, won't save you. But if you have a wrong understanding of justification by faith, there's a very good chance you could be deceived and receive the mark of the beast. So Ellen White goes on to say in this statement in Review and Herald, April 1, 1890, right after she says, it is the third angel's message in verity, she quotes Revelation 18.1 and she says, the prophet declares, and after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was lightened with his glory. Then she closes that quote and goes on to say, brightness, glory, and power are to be connected with the third angel's message and conviction will follow wherever it is preached in demonstration of the Spirit. Here's what Ellen White is saying. When we experience justification by faith as God designed for it to be experienced, Revelation 18 1 takes place, which is the outpouring of the latter rain, which gives rise to the loud cry where the character of God illuminates the earth. Now, if you believe that justification by faith is a legal declaration only without a heart change, how can it be that you have an experience that reflects the character of Jesus that illuminates the world? Ellen White is saying that, yes, justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity, and with that third angel's message is an experience that leads to Revelation 18.1, where the earth is lightened with the glory of God's character. Brightness, glory, and power are to be connected with the third angel's message, and conviction will follow wherever it is preached in demonstration of the Spirit. Now, friends, I have to say this as well. You've probably heard a bad sermon if you didn't come under conviction. Let me say that again. You've probably heard a bad sermon if you haven't come under conviction. The Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, it's not to pat you on the back for living in sin. It's to convict you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And the third angel's message leads to that experience. When the minister, the preacher, is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you will come under conviction for sin in your life. And the fact that Jesus hasn't come yet tells me and tells us that we are still dealing with a sin problem in our church. 
And so, yes, we need messages of encouragement. Yes, we need times of encouragement when we've perhaps been downtrodden. But when we look at the prophetic message for God's last day people, God's last day people need to be brought under conviction. It's too late in Earth's history to be in a lackadaisical state, in a malaise where you feel perfectly comfortable just floating along in a Laodicean state as if nothing is ever going to change and Jesus isn't going to come for 5, 10, 15, 20, or even 30 years and you just think you can live your life the way you always have. Friends, a day is coming where it's going to all wrap up very quickly. And I believe it may be sooner than we think. Now, what is it? that makes justification by faith the third angel's message. I'm going to take you through the Bible to show you this very thing. I've shared you some, with you some statements from Ellen White just to lay a foundation, but this is something that can be clearly shown from the Bible. And I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This should be a familiar passage of Scripture to every single one of you. But I hope that as you see this verse, these two verses again tonight, you are going to see it in a fresh way. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Here the Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why is it so powerful? Verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now let's unpack these verses. Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome, and the gospel to the church at Rome is one of the best theological expositions of the gospel. And he goes through a variety of things in the book of Romans, but as he sets out at the beginning of the book, he can hardly contain himself, and he says, I've got to tell you why I am so excited to preach the gospel to you here at Rome. I am preaching it to you through writing, and let me tell you why this gospel is so powerful. I am not ashamed of this gospel. Here is why I am not ashamed. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. Now the word power in the Greek is the Greek word dunamis, which is similar to dynamite. What Paul is saying is that the reason why I am not ashamed of the gospel is because it has dynamite power to blow up your life of sin. That rock hard heart that won't change, it can change under the dynamite power of the gospel of Christ. The gospel is not a lifestyle modification improvement plan. It's dynamite. You put dynamite into a rock quarry and it blows the rocks up. That's what dynamite does, and that is what the gospel is designed to do in the lives of everyone who believes, or the word in the Greek is the same as everyone who has faith. Everyone who has faith can experience the power of the gospel. Now, verse 17 shows us just how powerful the gospel is. 
why is the gospel so powerful? What is it about the gospel that has dynamite power? Verse 17 shows us how. For therein... In other words, here's why the gospel is so powerful. It's because that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now notice, Paul does not say the righteousness of God is declared. Here's the amazing thing to me. Many Christian scholars today say that the point of the gospel in the book of Romans is that justification is declared only and we're saved by an outward covering without a heart change. And yet that's contradictory to the very thing that Paul is saying here in Romans 1 verses 16 and 17. Here's why the gospel is so powerful. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. In other words, those who are the just, who live by faith, have the righteousness of God revealed in their lives, and that is why the gospel has power. Justification by faith. Faith to believe in a dynamite power to change your life brings justification by faith into your experience. And when you are truly just by faith, the righteousness of God is not only declared in your life, it is revealed in your life. And that's why Ellen White says justification by faith is the third angel's message in verity. That's why Ellen White says when we have justification by faith as a people, Revelation 18.1 takes place. Because Revelation 18.1 one is the righteousness of God revealed to the world. And as Adventists, some of us have fallen into a false Babylonian gospel thinking that justification by faith is righteousness declared only in which our lives do not change and somehow we'll just scrape through heaven living a sinful life while we're covered with a garment of Christ's righteousness still living a sinful life. And yet that is not the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel the third angel for our time is justification by faith which reveals the righteousness of God in the lives of those who believe. Now interestingly, in the New Testament we see this phrase coined by the Apostle Paul also in Galatians 3.11. Paul is dealing with gospel issues in Galatians. But we also see it in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38 in the context of the second coming. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to actually pick it up in verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense or reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Here's what the Apostle Paul, who is the author of Hebrews, is saying in this passage. Those who are waiting for Jesus to come will have the experience of justification by faith, and that is the experience that we must have in order to be ready for Jesus to come. Now, let me say a couple of other things, and then I'm going to connect this to an Old Testament passage. 
the Greek word for just. When it says the just shall live by faith, the Greek word is the word dikaios, which also means righteous. So the righteous shall live by faith. This is righteousness by faith, justification by faith. It just so happens that more than once in the New Testament, a key New Testament figure is described as being just, and it's the same word in the Greek, the Greek word dikaios. You may remember in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, when Jesus is on trial, Pilate's wife sends him a message and said, hey, I had a dream last night and I was troubled by what I saw have nothing to do with this just man it's the same word as the just shall live by faith but not only did Pilate's wife give that testimony of Jesus so did the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 3 verse 14 and you may want to turn there this is Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost and speaking of Jesus he says you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and that word just it's describing Jesus isn't it? and it's the Greek word dikaios and then Stephen just before he is stoned in Acts chapter 7 verse 52 says which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted and they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers Jesus here is described as the just one and again the word just here is the Greek word dikaios Jesus on this earth was a just or a righteous man. And when we have faith to believe in the power of the gospel, we can be just or righteous as Jesus was. That's the power of the gospel. The power that's dynamite. It can take your sin-polluted heart and change it into the heart of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you. I suspect I'm not the only one that desperately needs that experience on a day-by-day -day basis. Well, let me ask you this. Do you really enjoy being grumpy? You know, I heard it said of someone that they were only happy if they were complaining about something. <laughs> Is that the kind of life you want to live? Do you want to be known like the children of Israel as a murmurer or a complainer, down in the dumps, discouraged all the time, not able to claim the promises of God, always flying off the handle when things don't go your way? Does that really make you happy? Did you know that God has something better for you? Don't let the devil deceive you into thinking that you can keep living that way and, to, and be declared righteous by faith, because that is not righteousness by faith. Righteousness by faith is believing that as sinful as your life has been, God can change it completely Amen. into the image of Jesus. That is justification by faith. Now, I mentioned that Paul is the only New Testament author to coin the phrase, the just shall live by faith. But again... 
holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So Paul's not the source of Scripture. We understand that. It's the Holy Spirit. But Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, quoted frequently from the Old Testament. So here's the interesting thing. People say, I'm a New Testament Christian, and yet their favorite New Testament gospel writer, Paul, who they twist his meaning to make it sound like he's saying something that he didn't really say, quoted from the Old Testament all the time to prove his gospel points. If you don't believe me, just go through the book of Romans and look in your margin to see all the times he's quoting from the Old Testament, and you'll find him quoting from Psalms and Haggai and Habakkuk and all over the place. Um, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Genesis, he's quoting from all over the Bible. And the concept that the just shall live by faith is no different. Do you know where Paul gets the concept that the just shall live by faith from? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know where that's found? Go to the book of Habakkuk. Now, this little tidbit that I'm going to share with you is something that I came to an understanding of in the last two or three years, and it blew me away when I came to this understanding. Habakkuk chapter 2, you know, it's, it's awesome when you're studying the Bible and you see something that just makes things so much clearer in your mind. And in Habakkuk chapter 2... A vision is being given to God's people based on a challenge that God's people are facing in Habakkuk chapter 1. I'm not going to read through all of Habakkuk chapter 1, but here's the point. In Habakkuk chapter 1, the Chaldeans are the, or the Babylonians are threatening to overrun God's people. God's people are at risk of being overrun by the Babylonians. Now, if you studied last day prophecy, that should put your antenna up, because at the end of the world, there is Babylon who is trying to deceive the whole world so that we would receive the mark of the beast. So in Habakkuk, we see this illustration of what happened to God's people in the Old Testament as an application to what will happen to God's people in the last days. The Chaldeans or the Babylonians are trying to overrun God's people. So God sends a message to his people to help them understand how they can keep from being overrun by the Babylonians. And that message starts in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Here we read, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So Habakkuk in vision, he's saying, okay, I'm going to get a message of reproof from God and what will I answer when I receive this message of reproof? And here the message comes. Verse 2, And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Now if you're paying attention, you'll notice that Paul uses very similar language in Hebrews chapter 10 to describe the, the experience of God's people waiting for the second coming of Jesus. 
And so here the message is the Babylonians are coming. They're going to try to overrun you. So you need to write down this vision and make it plain on tables so that people will understand a prophetic message that is being given to you so that Babylon won't overrun you. Now, you should be waking up a little bit thinking about this. Could it be that many Seventh-day Adventists are going to be overrun by ignoring the prophetic message that God has sent and that we could be overrun by the Babylonians because we're neglecting the prophetic message that God has given to us? But this message is not done. But before I read verse 4, let me say this. Do you know what the end-time application for this vision that had a tarrying time is? I think you probably know. Verses 2 and 3 is referring to which vision? The vision of the 2300 days. Does that ring a bell? There was a tarrying time, and the Millerites were confused about the date of 1843 versus 1844, and so they had to wait for the full understanding of the, the 2300 days when it would come to its completion. If you don't believe me, go to Great Controversy, pages 391 and 392, where Ellen White makes it very clear that this vision with a tarrying time has to do with a 2300-day prophecy. Now, this becomes very, very interesting. And if you don't remember anything else from what I say tonight, here's what I hope you will remember. At the end of the world, Babylon is trying to overrun God's people. And they will do so by trying to enforce the mark of the beast upon the entire world. But God sends a prophetic message that will prevent his end-time people from receiving the mark of the beast if we receive the message of reproof that is found in that prophetic message. And that prophetic message starts off with the vision of the 2300 days, which takes us to 1844, which tells us that that is the beginning point in Earth's history where God began the work of the cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven. So you may be asking, where is the reproof? What's the reproof to Adventists at the end of the world when the Babylonians are trying to overrun God's people? Where is the reproof? Okay, that's nice. 2,300 days, sanctuary shall be cleansed. I know that. I can explain 457 to 1844, and I can cut off 70 weeks. I've done that for years. I give it in my Bible study. So what's the point? Here's the point. If that's all you get out of the 2,300 days, you haven't gone deep enough. Notice verse 4. Verse 4 is a continuation of the thought, and it says, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Now get this. Here is Adventism's problem at the end of the world. We see the Babylonians coming. We believe in the 2300-day prophecy, and we're saying, oh yeah, we're going to stand firm and true and tall when that mark of the beast crisis comes, when the Sunday law comes, I'm going to be standing on the watchtower crying from the rooftops, this is the mark of the beast, don't worship on Sunday, I'm not going to be deceived by the Sunday law crisis. 
And yet, Scripture says you better watch out because if your soul is lifted up, if your heart is full of pride, you have the spirit of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar said, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for the glory of my majesty and for the power of my kingdom? And if we as God's people think that we can fight Babylon with the spirit of Babylon, we will be defeated by the Babylonians. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. And so the question is, what are you going to answer when you are reproved? When the Lord points out to you, you know what? You're doing all the right things here at Uchi Pines. You're living by the health message. You're doing all these right things. And by the way, I don't know your heart. Only God knows your heart. So I'm not here to judge your motive. But you may know your motive and God does. What's your motive for what you're doing? Is it so that people will appreciate appreciate you and say, wow, look at what you're doing. Look how great the things that you do. You are following God's blueprint plan. Good job. Way to be the way you are. And your heart swells with pride as you say, I am so thankful that I'm doing things according to the blueprint and you're not humble and meek the way Jesus would be. And here's the thing. The 2300-day prophecy that's mentioned in verses 2 and 3, leads us to the point where the sanctuary needs to be cleansed. Do you want to know why the sanctuary hasn't been cleansed yet? It's because Adventists are still full of pride. Amen. Meaning that we have not yet experienced justification by faith, which also then means that if you experience justification by faith, that is synonymous with the cleansing of the sanctuary, which means that justification by faith is far more than an outward legal declaration. It's dealing with a heart problem, the pride problem. Yes. Justification by faith is much deeper than simply an outward legal declaration. That's why Ellen White says in Testimonies to Ministers, page 456, which comes from Special Testimonies A09, page 62, she says, What is justification by faith? It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself. There it is right there. We, I've heard that quote for many years. Justification by faith is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust. And it took me until about two years ago to see from the Bible that our souls which are lifted up are not upright in us, so we need our glory laid in the dust so that we can be justified by faith faith, that will then lead to the cleansing of the sanctuary. When men see their own nothingness, they are prepared to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. When they begin to praise and exalt God all the day long, then by beholding they are becoming changed into the same image. It can be also a, t a, a temptation for some to say, God, don't you see all the good work I am doing? Surely that counts for something in my standing with you. Justification by faith is the laying of the glory of man in the dust, and we realize we are nothing. 
that what God does in our heart when he transforms our heart and lives, that is what produces the change and the fruit in our lives. It is not our effort that brings justification. It is when we see our nothingness and we lay at the foot of the cross, humbling ourselves fully and completely to Jesus, that we can then be justified by faith. Ellen White says in Faith and Works, page 100, it's also Selected Messages, volume 1, page 366, God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place. And in order for man to retain justification, there must be continual obedience which works by love and purifies the soul. That's sanctification. In other words, in order for you to retain justification by faith, you're living a sanctified life, which means you're retaining your surrender, which is why sanctification is the work of a lifetime. Some people say, oh, it's a work of a lifetime, therefore I'll never get there. Yes, you're growing and maturing, but you're still surrendered. Don't say that you're sanctified while you're unsurrendered. Justification by faith. This is what our church so desperately needs right now. When the glory of man is laid in the dust, then we can be good medical missionaries. And the right arm of the gospel will have power because wouldn't it make sense that when we are doing medical missionary work, if people see Jesus and realize we're not in it to glory in ourselves, they're going to trust more what we'll say to them and they'll have interest in what we are giving to them. And yes, there are places that have been doing that work since God has raised up this movement, but it's not been as much as what God would have it to be. And here's one of the things I see in Adventism. We have a pride problem in Adventism. Now maybe, and I don't, I say this and then we'll say, yeah, I see, we're better. No, I'm not trying to say this, but I will say that when you're in a place like here, it's easier to trust in God fully and completely and not revel in the glory of your accomplishments. But it can happen here too. I'm not saying it couldn't. But I, I got to tell you, I mean, and I'm, I'm not saying that the people who do these things are wrongly intentioned, but man, you, you know, you go to camp meeting or I've been to places where I speak and like, man, I went to a place one time somewhere, I won't say where it was, where the pastor was introducing me and he started reading my bio and I mean, I was embarrassed. I mean, it was bad. I mean, he was like, Dr. McNulty, he has done this and he did this and he did that. Have mercy. And people are like, whoa. And it's like people are just like, and it turned into the glory of Norman McNulty. Now listen, if you're coming here to hear Norman McNulty speak, you're not going to get much. You need to be listening to the voice of Jesus speaking to you. And I hope that I'm tapped into the right power so that you're hearing the right thing. But when we start to exalt degrees and accomplishments and education and how our ministry is better than that ministry because we do this that way and they do this the other way. I mean, I've seen some of the weirdest things where you have Bible training schools that get mad at other Bible training schools because we did it this way and they do it that way way and 
our way is superior to saving souls. And when I thought that we were trying to all be saving souls, and the more that are doing it, the better. And that's just one illustration. You could have competition between self-supporting institutions, where our, and I'm just making this up off the top of my head, where our way of hydrotherapy is better than your way of hydrotherapy. And so all of a sudden, it's the glory of man and the glory of our institution versus the glory of your institution. And Jesus is trying to lay the glory of man in the dust so that he can cleanse our lives of sin, so that he can rightly represent his character through us so that we can actually reach the world. But if we're like the world in spirit, where we're exalting ourselves, then he can't pour out his spirit upon us and the earth can't be lightened with his glory because we haven't had our glory laid in the dust and if our glory isn't laid in the dust, I'm, I've got to tell you, I've been to enough church board meetings to know that the glory of man is alive and well in Adventism. And the third angel for our time is that the glory of sinful Adventists needs to be laid in the dust. Stop patting your back for being so sanctified in an unholy way. That's not going to get you into the kingdom. The only thing that's going to get you into the kingdom is to humble yourself at the foot of the cross, seeing what Jesus did for you. It's his sacrifice on the cross that will break your heart. And are you really kidding me to say, well, I know Jesus came down from heaven and died on the cross and put all of heaven and eternity at risk, or his eternal security at risk to be on the cross, but, you know, it's okay if I still harbor some pride in my life. No way. You have not been touched by the sacrifice of Jesus for your life, if that's how you think. I want to take you to Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. And this is Jesus giving an example of someone who is justified versus someone who is not. I like it when Jesus gives us a clear-cut example. And you know the story, but this is all the more powerful when we think about it in the terms of laying the glory of man on the dust. Verse 9, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's laying the glory of man in the dust right there. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. There you have it right there. If you're exalting yourself, you are not justified. But if you're humbling yourself before God, you will be justified. You know, we could substitute certain attitudes that the Pharisee had 2,000 years ago among Adventists today. Now, 
I'm just going to pick a few examples. It's not based on anything that I know of, of anyone here personally, so I'm just using these illustrations that I have used in other places. But it could go something like this. And by the way, before I say anything, I believe in the health message. I believe in the diet that God has prescribed for us in inspiration. I believe in the, the message of dress reform that God has given to us in inspiration. All of those things. But we can turn that into the glory of man as well. So it could go like this. God, I thank you that I don't eat the food at potluck that those people are eating. Man, I'm even watching labels so carefully that I know the exact amount of sodium I'm getting every week. God, I thank you that I don't wear the clothes those people are wearing. Have mercy on them, Lord, because there's no way they're going to heaven the way they're dressing. And then you're mean and you're grumpy and you're rude and you're not nice to work with, but you think that your diet and your dress is going to get you into the kingdom. Now, mind you, please don't then now go out and say, okay, well, I just need to be kind and loving. Who cares how I dress or eat? No, no, no. Then people throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, I'm going to be a loving liberal. And then you can have it on the other side. God, I thank you. But I don't have to worry about dressing like that. God, I thank you that I don't have to worry about the kind of food that I eat. As long as I show, quote unquote, love to people, it doesn't matter what I do. And you can have Pharisees on all sides of the spectrum Amen. saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. And you're not willing to examine your own heart to say, God, what am I really like with you? How am I presenting myself to you? Am I coming before the God of the universe and saying, God, I know that you're the king of the universe and you're the savior of my life, but I'm not that bad, am I? That is the age-old deception that Lucifer has tried to place on humanity to think that we have something to offer to God. And if we could learn anything from the life of Jesus and from the cross of Calvary, it's that our righteousness is as filthy rags and that our glory is dust. We have nothing in and of ourselves to offer. The good that is in our lives is only because of the mercy of Jesus when we surrender our hearts to him and we allow him to work out his life in us. Other than that, you don't want to know me if I'm not connected to Jesus. It's not a pretty picture. And you know what? That's true of every single one of us. I don't care who the person is. I don't care if they're a famous speaker or a faithful worker in the kitchen or whatever you may do. If you are not connected to Jesus, you can put on a good front and make it look like you have it all together and that you're a good sanctified Seventh-day Adventist ready for translation, yet behind the scenes you're something totally different. 
And what Jesus is saying, the Babylonians are coming to overrun Adventism and the spirit of Babylon is pride and they are going to enforce a decree that will take out everyone that has the same spirit that they do. So here's the message of reproof to Adventism. Adventists, since 1844, Jesus has been doing the work of cleansing the sanctuary in heaven. And the reason why that work is still going on is because your souls, which are lifted up, are not upright and you need to be cleansed of the sin in your life and have your glory laid in the dust so that you can have the character of Jesus in your life. And when you have that, then you'll have an experience to take to the world showing what Jesus has done for you. That you truly care about people. That you're not just doing medical missionary work to check the box to say, well, I'm doing what Jesus said I should do. Boy, that was a rough afternoon, but at least I'm doing the work. You know, I'll, I'll admit, I have a long way to go. But by the grace of the Lord, as He reveals these things to me, and he's, as He reveals these things to you, we can surrender whatever it is in our lives that is keeping Jesus from being seen in our lives. And I don't know where you are tonight. I don't know most of you here in this room. But I suspect that there's more than two or three of us tonight that are having some glory of man issues. And we see those issues pop up when our will is crossed. And when things don't go the way we think they should go, when our plans aren't preferred above another plan, or whatever it may be, and God is saying, these are the tests that I am giving you to cleanse you of sin, and I'm reproving you now so that when the mark of the beast crisis comes, you'll have pride purged from your life, and the, the test that comes then won't overmaster you. Now, friends, I believe that Jesus is coming very soon, and I believe that the Lord has orchestrated this week. And I'm thankful for the other speakers that are here. They're my friends, and for the messages that are being given. I see a harmony in the messages that are being given, that the Lord is moving to bring conviction to our hearts so that we will be ready to meet Jesus and that we will be his rightful representatives. God is looking for a group of Seventh-day Adventists in whom the righteousness of God is revealed. Not the filthy rags of our professed Adventism, but the true righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what we so desperately need. You know, if that's the experience that you want, I believe it is for all of us. I'm going to offer a special word of prayer, and I'm going to ask each one of you who wants to have that experience to kneel with me as we ask the Lord to come into our hearts.
that He would reprove us and remove our pride and our glory and lay it in the dust so that we can be representatives of Jesus. Amen? So let's kneel as we pray. Father in heaven, you see everyone who is kneeling here tonight. Lord, I know that we are here because we have a desire to follow you. And we love you and we want to serve you. But we also know that we have struggles in our lives at times that have kept us from fully revealing your righteousness to the world. Lord, forgive us for whatever sin it is in our lives that has caused the glory of man rather than the glory of God to be seen. Please help us, Lord. We are weak. We are sinful. Our promises are like ropes of sand. But you can help us to choose to surrender our wills to you and to ask you, I pray that we would ask that whatever it is in our lives that is the glory of man, the pride of man, that we would ask you to do whatever it takes to remove that pride and that sin issue in our lives. Humble us, Lord. Reprove us, prune us, whatever it may be, whatever trials that it takes. May we be willing to go through those experiences, trusting you, knowing that you are allowing us to pass through those experiences and trials to prepare us for the coming of Jesus. Lord, please help us to experience the third angel's message for our time justification by faith which is a cleansing of sin and a laying of the glory of man in the dust so that Jesus will be seen in our lives continue to be with us through the rest of this week plus the remaining presentations and speakers and may all of these messages blend together into a harmonious whole that will lead to the outpouring of the latter rain in our lives May that latter rain be poured out soon, and may all the glory go to you and zero to us. And may Jesus' name be glorified on this earth is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.